This is FM Forward, a podcast brought to you by IFMA Boston about the rapidly changing landscape of the FM and how to remain on top of your game. I'm your host, Jackie Falla. This season, we're going to investigate all the ways in which risk can plague your organization, the myriad and chaotic ways in which your business operations could be disrupted, and techniques for avoiding, mitigating, transferring, or accepting these risks in the interest of your company. Each week, we'll talk to an expert in their field, and before we sign off, we'll share three tips for getting it right. I'm your host, Jackie Fallon, and I have with me Ashley Guzman of Liberty Mutual. As part of our four-part series on risk management, Ashley and I sat together back in January to discuss her area of specialty, business continuity, and crisis management. I don't know whether it was my trip to Cuba the following day that had me distracted or the fact that COVID-19 seemed to be happening in another faraway land, but I missed pandemics as part of the discussion entirely. My bad. Ashley has agreed to help me write the situation by sharing with us her thoughts on COVID-19 and return to work planning. Hey, Jackie. It's good to be back talking to you, although I wish it were under less concerning circumstances. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience and share my thoughts on COVID-19 return to work planning. Thanks, Ashley. So there'll be a day when employees do, in fact, go back to work. How can companies begin to plan for that And what might it look like? First, let me say that companies bringing their personnel back from working from home could look very different depending on the industry. For example, some businesses like those aligned with travel and tourism may not return to normal until the end of the year. Or I've read that car manufacturers want to bring back their personnel into their plants next month, but it remains to be seen what the demand for for new cars is in the marketplace. Next. I wish I had a blueprint that I could give everyone to use, but these unprecedented times, it's just not possible. What I can provide is guidance about what you should be thinking about at a high level to develop your planning along with a process to get there. Obviously, facility managers can't go at this alone. It is a collaborative effort cross-functionally that includes leadership, HR, IT, and communications input, for example. Looking at the landscape, I recommend that businesses be planning now for returning their workforce to their offices, buildings, and work sites. This is good practice regardless of where you are in the U.S., although we may see some states, counties, or cities rescind the lockdown restrictions before others. As we are in Massachusetts, I'll share the forecasting I'm hearing from experts and the data about return in our state. This is a fluid situation, but right now, Governor Baker has extended the stay-at-home order and closure of non-essential businesses until May 4th. Hospitalizations are expected to peak around April 10th to April 20th in Mass, so this is our guidepost. Overall, the timeline for return to work happens when it happens will depend on what I see as three major triggers. The first is when virus case counts decrease to an acceptable level of risk when the exposure is minimized. According to the CDC's pandemic intervals framework, there are six pandemic stages. We've passed the investigation, recognition, and initiation of a pandemic wave phases. Currently, we are in an acceleration phase where the pandemic wave is speeding up and there are more cases. 
during this peak phase, the government is implementing mainly non-pharmaceutical community interventions. These include closures of businesses, schools, and daycares, and aligned social distancing to flatten the curve by working to stop the spread of the virus. I am assuming everyone is aware of it by now, but John Hopkins University COVID-19 dashboard is a great resource for data. Another is healthdata.org's IHME COVID-19 projection site, where you can see state-by-state -state information. These can be helpful tools for planning. Of course, the CDC has a, a good source as well. What you are planning for now is what is called the deacceleration phase of the pandemic wave. This is when there will be a slowing down in the number of COVID-19 cases and circulation of the virus is decreasing. Governments will decide when there can be a safe to be reduction of non-pharmaceutical interventions in their communities, which includes a return to the workplace. I can tell you that what I heard from DHS and FEMA last week is that states are working to figure this out. Many states have already been meeting to plan for an economic and from a safety perspective, but it is uncharted territory for all of us, especially at this scale. The second trigger is government decision-making. In the US, states oversee rescinding or otherwise relaxing public stay-at-home orders. This is going to be precipitated by the decreasing case counts. As the pandemic is being handled locally, businesses will be unable to open until given the go-ahead by government authorities to do so. One thing to note is that when we return to the workplace, we will be facing an environment without a vaccine and likely without adequate testing. So this should factor into your decision-making. I expect the unwinding of the lockdown will happen over time, state by state or by other regions. Some are predicting that rural areas may be able to go off lockdown sooner as they've had less cases than urban centers. But in this ever-changing situation, we'll just have to see. The third trigger is safety, and specifically the comfort level of employees to return to the workplace. Some may not want to return out of fear or anxiety, and others may be unable to due to the demand of caregiving for their families. In Massachusetts, as in other states, schools have closed. Governor Baker has extended the statewide shutdown of all public and private schools until at least May 4th. Some states, though, like New York, where the virus has hit hardest, has extended the in-person school closures until the end of the year. So that needs to be considered when determining which staff and how they will return to work. Some may need added schedule flexibility to remain at home to care for their families. Last, you should consider criticality of your business processes. Those, for example, those teams that need to be in person to come back first and stagger others over time. Another example is that I read that the Massachusetts members of the North Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters went on strike on April 6th due to health and safety concerns regarding COVID-19. Almost all of the 10,000 state members of the union are refusing to work until Governor Baker issues more stringent measures to provide personal protective equipment to construction workers. This is important to note because workers may need to be assured that safety measures, including screening and adequate PPE, are in place. So to get back to your question, businesses should take all of these factors into consideration, as well as the economic, employee, and customer concerns when planning to come back into the workplace. So Ashley, you mentioned six phases of a pandemic, the investigation phase, the recognition phase, the initiation phase, the acceleration phase, which you said we we're in right now, and the deceleration phase is number five. 
which is really what we're talking about right now, this return to work planning phase. What's the sick right. phase? It's actually preparation for future pandemic waves. Ah, okay. And I know that we're going to discuss that a little bit later in this episode. Yep. All right. So what approaches should companies consider to allow for social distancing within their offices? Hmm. My first suggestion is that you take a step back and look at your industry. This may seem like a no-brainer, but what is likely going to happen is that critical businesses will ramp up any employees that need to return to the office that were working from home. Then it'll likely be any businesses who are non-aggregated, like restaurants, salons, gyms, et cetera. Last, other businesses will be allowed to open. A big decision for any company will be if they wait longer to ensure safety of their employees, if they're able to do that. I also recommend a screening process. If you do not already have an employee or customer health screening process in place, you will want to develop it. There are a few approaches to this. If you can, you'll want to implement a temperature check screening program. In the US, this is a change and appears to conflict with HIPAA or ADA regulations. But in March, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission issued an update to their guidance. It is too much to go over in this uh, discussion, but I found a good article by Littler that we can link to for your listeners if they want to learn more about this and other aligned concerns. Excellent. screening protocol that can be implemented is the use of a self-screening tool. Employees can use it before coming to work. Apple worked with the CDC, the White House, and FEMA develop a COVID-19 screening tool, so I recommend that. It's very good and it's free to use. Maintaining social distancing in the workplace, continuing ongoing cleaning of high-touch surfaces, asking employees to wear masks or gloves, and realigning your workplace to limit exposure are all actions you should take. Wearing masks can be controversial in the U.S. because we're not used to doing it like in countries in Asia, but it is now part of the new normal we're facing. With PPE supplies being limited, it may be hard to procure them. But I was on a call with FEMA and they assured the private sector that they're diverting some of the supply for us to procure. In addition to that, they're working to increase capacity beyond existing vendors. You may have seen the Surgeon General CDC video on how to make your own masks, And that's something that you can share with your staff as well. You actually alerted me to the work Cushman and Wakefield is doing with their six feet office project to help companies adjust their floor plans and increase their workplace hardening. I think their work is great. And I already passed along to my facilities group. We found it is aligned to much of what we're already planning. It is. It's a, it's a pretty comprehensive back to work plan. And, and I think we'll, decrease some of the feelings of anxiety that some of the employees are having over returning to work. So we'll include that in in our resource guide too at the end of the podcast. Um, So we know that we need to consider employee and customer customer health screenings, possibly a self-screening protocol, and there's definitely gonna be need for social distancing in the workplace. Um, What are the obvious hurdles to returning to work? You made mention earlier of schools closing for the year um, in some states. We don't know if that's going to happen here in Massachusetts yet um, for the school year. Um, But I imagine that childcare is going to be an issue. And, you know, again, general anxiety about whether or not it's safe to return to work. 
That's an excellent question, Jackie. And you brought up two of the issues that would probably be of greatest concerns, families caring for their children, and that general anxiety about returning to the office. I touched on them a little bit earlier, but these are real issues facing businesses and people individually. I recommend that business adopt as flexible approach as possible. Work to leverage any existing human and mental health resources your company has in place and make it available to your employees. A key aspect to overcoming any of these challenges is to communicate often with your employees and customers. Even if you don't have much to share, I suggest maintaining frequent communication, whether it's through email, snail mail, internal or external websites, or through virtual meetings or video. Letting people know you care about them and are working to keep them safe while maintaining your business is important right now. Managers and business units will want to keep an open-door policy or an ongoing forum for feedback loop throughout the pandemic. It is important to, one, let your employees know you care about them individually, and two, allow mechanisms for employee input. Keeping people safe is really the final hurdle that comes to mind, and there's only so much we can do about that. By this, I mean we can only do our best within the workplace environment for continued workplace hardening to limit exposure. Human behavior is always the wild card, and what happens outside of the workplace is also beyond a facility manager's control. Protocols should be in place for addressing people who have not been infected, had a secondary exposure, and for those who have a suspected or confirmed case. The CDC released interim guidance on safety practices for critical infrastructure workers for suspected or confirmed cases, and their blueprint is generally a good one to follow overall. Hmm. So if humans are the wild card, the subtext is that we all need to do our part to keep those that we interact with safe. So we've got to really be responsible here, hold ourselves accountable. I've heard mention of the next wave pandemic surges, which doesn't make me feel great, Ashley. Can you explain to our listeners what this is and how companies might prepare for it? Okay, I'm not an infectious disease expert, but I'll share it as I understand it. After the virus cases have peaked and declined to almost pre-outbreak levels are when standards, the standards used during the acceleration period are relaxed. However, this could be a period where there are additional reoccurrences of infections or waves of cases increasing again. This can happen during the post-peak period of activity spread out over months. My understanding is this can happen for a variety of reasons. It is possible that some people come back into the community during the incubation period after catching it and infecting others unbeknownst to them. Having multiple waves is not unusual in a pandemic scenario. For example, there were three documented waves of the 1918 pandemic influenza. So we will need to be prepared for at least a second wave. I'm hearing this could be winter, but some experts say in the fall when schools reopen and people gather for their usual autumn activities. We'll need to be prepared for that and the potential need to return to work from home. My advice is to document what was successful during the initial lockdown period now. Identify any gaps that you can execute on your plan for a second wave. All right, so we better keep our home offices in tip-top shape then. No decommissioning of that portion of our space. Could you share with me your thoughts on scheduling a phased return? Sure. The experts are advising that returning employees and customers back to pre-COVID-19 levels into the workplace needs to be gradual. 
You may want to start with a smaller percentage of your workforce for the first two weeks and see how it goes, i.e. that there are no or very limited infections, and then continue to build over time. The two weeks is based on the incubation period of the virus, which most estimates say is five days, but can be between one and 14 days. Another way to approach it is to consider rotating staff in three or more shifts. If you do this, you'll need to enforce that people in the shift groups cannot overlap to maintain safety protocols. For example, if someone forgets a power cord in the office, they won't be able to come back and get it until their next shift. All of this is to limit exposure of infecting your employees or customers. If you have customer-facing businesses, you may also want to limit the number of people in your space at a time as well. Um, okay, so our workforce should re-enter in a gradual fashion. We should consider rotating shifts and we should limit the number of people in our space. And that could mean both employees and or customers, depending on what our business service or product is. What about scheduling of common spaces within the office walls, like conference rooms, cafeterias, gymnasiums, things like that? The standard that I've heard is to keep your exposure down. For example, have less than 30 to 50% of your usual employer customer base in your space at a time. And then also, as with office desk space, you'll want to adjust your footprint to encourage the six-foot roll and keep people at a safe distance from each other. As I already mentioned, you'll want to keep your cleaning protocols in place and continue to use them. I'm hearing a split between people out there that really want to get back to the regular routines, like going back into the office, to Starbucks, the gym, getting a haircut, versus those who don't want to venture out until they believe it's safe. These are things that both from an economic and safety standpoint that businesses will have to wrestle with and try to find the right balance. For conference or meeting space, you want to follow any public health guidelines that come out but I recommend that you follow the same standards you adopt for in-office exposure limits to communal gathering spaces. You may even choose to suspend in-person meetings and continue virtual meetings, at least first. You probably have already seen the, the cough sneeze guards go up at desks and other checkout counters, et cetera. It's my prediction that even post COVID-19, some of these measures will stay in place as we adjust to a new normal. Mm, that's very interesting. Uh, so, I guess we could even consider doing things like having, you know, specific lunch times that we're assigned to so that we don't overcrowd the cafeteria space, just like they do in school. You have 10.45 to 11.15 to eat your lunch today. <laughs> yeah, definitely a good idea. <laughs> right. We're, we're going to be experiencing um, a lot of new normals, I think. Most organizations have sourced industrial cleaners to decontaminate their offices at this stage of the game. Do you have any recommendations for regular companies? Companies should continue cleaning and disinfecting high-touch areas in the office or facility. The CDC has good guidance in place, as does OSHA, so I recommend facility managers and their teams look there. The bottom line is that these measures will continue to be needed until this pandemic is over. Yeah, I imagine it's just a good practice um, at any rate. You know, these types of things would help with flu and, and normal illness, illnesses as well. Absolutely. 
So what are the biggest challenges from a facility standpoint? Right now, there are a myriad of challenges facing facility managers, all you guys out there. Um, you are actively involved in business continuity and contingency planning right now. That is likely taking up most of your time while maintaining a skeleton crew possibly and ensuring staff well-being as you're addressing potential and confirmed virus exposures. Whether your company owns your real estate or leases it, there are a host of issues to contend with through the peak transmission phase. Remote building management is not as robust in the U.S., so my guess is that most of you are dealing with quick fixes to manage the new environment where your workspaces are largely empty while most personnel are working from home. Facility managers for lease buildings are the go-betweens with property management and their leadership, business managers, and employees themselves. So there are a host of communication challenges involved with that, and trying to find the most effective channels can be tricky. Even when your company owns the building outright, you should be right in there collaborating to keep the workforce and the building safe. Cyber risk is likely also a concern, along with worries pertaining to force majeure, as you're trying to continue to perform any contractual obligations, keeping good relationships with vendors and your supply chains, while things out there are in a disrupted state. For most organizations pre-COVID-19, with today's mobile workforce, use of the office space was already down, and it's my guess that leveraging workplace analytics will be even more important going forward for decision-making. So overall, I think the biggest challenge is dealing with the current state while trying to plan for the next phase of the pandemic. Mm, you just gave me a great idea for another episode because I wonder, we have been in a, you know, kind of a long protracted phase of um, densification in the workplace. And now I wonder if we're going to be increasing the square footage per uh, individual or per head in the company to allow for a little bit of the social distancing. That could be a, a very interesting um, next phase of our work lives. So a pandemic um, by nature is unpredictable. What can we learn from this experience that we could or should apply to the next pandemic, assuming that there will be one or that this one won't be our last? I'm glad you asked that question. No two disaster events are ever the same, and that goes for pandemics too. However, we should incorporate lessons learned from this event into our mitigation planning for the next. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard a good solid plan or exercise help people prepare for an event when it actually happens. Believe me, it's worth the effort. Even though no two events are alike, we can always leverage something from the past learnings to build on. As I said earlier, you should document as much as you can and add it to your business continuity and crisis management plans for future events. For example, after H1N1, the CDC adjusted their own framework from what they learned. They have a preparation phase baked in that we talked about earlier, and we should take their lead. One of the major pitfalls I see is that organizations fail to conduct after action planning and fully embrace that process to do an honest deep dive of the past event to capture lessons learned and prepare for the future. Okay, so all of our facilities managers that are listening out there should prepare for an after action assessment and a lessons learned and go ahead and incorporate that into their existing business continuity plan. Absolutely. Great. 
Any predictions on how COVID-19 will change our work lives forever? <sighs> I don't have a crystal ball, so it's hard to know exactly what will happen. But I have heard the term next normal being used instead of new normal, and I kind of like that. To me, it speaks to the ever-changing world that we live in. I've heard a lot of chatter about this pandemic, that it will change our lives forever, and I'm sure it will, especially if we expect the virus to return seasonally. I am anticipating that some of the safety measures may stay in place, for example, normalizing use of masks when sick in the U.S. and potentially leveraging uh, screening. This pandemic has had an impact on our world and the U.S. economy, so we'll have to see to what extent at which we can bounce back. Um, I'm a glass half full kind of person, so I always hope for the best, but the business continuity professional in me always plans for the worst, and I urge you to do the same. Ashley, thank you so much for this amazing advice. As always, we're going to include a series of links on the IFMA Boston website um, that you referenced throughout the um, special supplement today. And we encourage folks to follow you and you're going to tell them how. Yep, thank you, Jackie, so much. And thank you to IFMA Boston for giving me the opportunity to speak to you about this important topic at this very difficult time. I really appreciate it and hope this either affirms for your audience that they are on the right track or gives them some additional resources and ideas. I would love to give a big shout out to all the facility managers out there that I know have been working tirelessly to keep us all safe. If I may, I would also like to encourage people to network with me on LinkedIn if they want to, and to follow my blog at www.disasterempire.com. Wonderful. Thank you again, Ashley. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening today. Visit ifmaboston.org slash podcast to see all of the show notes and any resources discussed in the episode. I'm your host, Jackie Falla, and this is FM Forward, where if you're an FM, buildings are assets, and it's your job to keep people happy, or at least happily working. Until next time.